Blog Talk Radio. The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references headed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your co-hosts on this 39th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you is situated on the other side of the planet. As this show broadcasts, aligns with the Christmas night, a very special time for many around the world, we choose to pre-record this edition during the final countdown to the winter solstice. While you'll be unable to interact with us directly during the show, I feel sure you will enjoy our very special guest this evening. I will soon be joined by co-host and producer Kintia, together with co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll, who are once again both speaking from the infamous wheelhouse near San Francisco. We have entitled this show, Advent of Aquarius. There are so many subjects which we'd love to talk about other than the pink elephant in the room, COVID-19 and the pandemic, which has erroneously and tyrannically been built on its minuscule back. So tonight we are going to focus on our attention on the big picture, something that is infinitely more interesting and will hopefully bring greater meaning to our existence. The upside of these, very low casualty, ongoing global lockdowns, is it offers each one of us the opportunity to take time to reflect, consider, and improve. For those who are awake, we should be using this time as the perfect ramp to the great change which is almost upon us, a change that most people will perceive differently according to their individual filters, and where they are on their own personal journey through this experience called life. However, be sure our existence on this revolving globe is nothing if not dynamic. Every step we take makes a two-way butterfly effect connection with another node, event, or person. Nothing we do, or even don't do, has zero effect. I'm talking of the concept, and for many, the reality, that we are all connected far beyond most of our wildest imagination. Have you ever noticed how the minority's tyrannical technocrats are desperately trying to dumb down our natural human qualities by poisoning our food, water, and by programming the creativity out of our children? 
and now even trying to force a potentially DNA-changing experimental vaccination on us for an alleged deadly virus, all while supplying us with dumbass substitute devices such as Alexa and Siri, which are marketed to make our life easier. I would suggest lessons in life are not well learned while in a state of ease. But what if human body, mind, and soul are infinitely more complex and powerful than most people realize? Epigenetics is a relatively new and accepted science that suggests this may be so. What if healing, telepathy, and knowing our future path are normal tools for each and every person? I would suggest these and many more abilities are normal for everyone. As we define our reality through our perception, some will measure the upcoming change in terms of climate change, Brexit, the US election, COVID, the Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and so on. While these topics are important, we have made them important by investing our attention and energy in them. In an age of almost instantaneous synthetic communication, we have created a very limited self-fulfilling prophecy, which is, in my opinion, very far off our natural course. As I take each step through life, I imagine all of my ancestors share each step with me. And with each footprint we make, I can potentially tap into their experience and wisdom. Equally there, our future will benefit from mine. So for me, time is more of a semi-permeable separator than a barrier. Many people get stressed if they become late. Personally, I despise badly managed timekeeping. However, why get stressed? In my opinion, if I'm unavoidably late, then I only become late at the moment I arrive. I believe this offers far more quality of life and retains our sovereign balance. Anyway, to round up my opening thoughts, while most people measure change by material ego-driven stuff, this only represents the micro to the infinite macro the universe has to offer. Humanity has recorded special astronomical events since the times of Gobekli Tepe and beyond. I would therefore expect the potential for great change as we enter the advent of Aquarius, a result of the cosmic cogs rotating through eternity. This is perhaps coincidentally marked by the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, which will form the brightest entity in the night sky after the moon. Perhaps it is no coincidence this offers an inkling and occurs on the shortest day and the longest night of the winter solstice. I hope these events mark a key milestone in our timeline where we may choose to change for a life filled with natural connectivity, a share in God's wisdom through universal consciousness, and positive intent followed by positive manifestation. We have a fundamental choice to make to follow the guidelines of the minority through puppets such as Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates et al., or to follow the guidelines of our inner self, which is connected to the rest of the universe. I believe the latter will lead us to the new renaissance of humanity. I very much look forward to hearing our guest's perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them 
and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last seven rotations, we have seen many remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss and present each topic in correct context could easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our guest. That said, I do believe it is noteworthy to mention, it seems the Gringe and Ebenezer Scrooge have been writing the scripts for the weak-minded puppet politicians in the UK, as they have just decided to cancel Christmas after all for many people. Let's hope these mindless puppets will gain a little time to reflect on their own life trajectory with a view to start the new year and the new processional age on its path, which is more befitting of their own humanity. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you'll see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists, and spiritual warriors who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, to stop acquiescing, and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Reverend Bill MacDonald, our guest, is such an individual. I look forward to him joining us shortly. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. I hope the Grinch has not yet stolen Christmas from you, as some of his emissaries have been very busy in the UK and Europe. How are you? <laughs> Good evening, Timothy. This is Kinthea. And uh, no, the Grinch hasn't stolen my Christmas. I'm enjoying it with my family. You know, not all of our family has joined us, but a good part of our family. And I've really taken this time to reflect on the inner light. That's what Christmas means to me is the inner light that each of us carries. I've been enjoying a a video on YouTube from Dr. Joe Dispenza. I will put that in the links. And he's talking about how we create our realities. And what I've noticed is that each of us is creating a reality. I am reflecting on the choices I'm making moment by moment. How conscious, how aware am I? Am I falling into repeat patterns that are often based in fear and uh, separation? Or am I awake to my ability to reflect the divine creator and to be a creator in my life and to radiate that presence? And I notice that, you know, uh, we kind of flip back and forth. And when I'm in that presence, I draw to me things that are in harmony and vibration with that presence, in resonance with it. And when I'm in fear, I draw to myself that which is in resonance with fear. So I've set aside time to really reflect on what it is I want to draw into my life, what it is that I want to stand for, what it is I want to breathe into being. So it's an interesting <laughs> path here because I'm surrounded by loved ones that are on both sides of the equation and constantly flipping back and forth. And 
So I notice how we influence each other. And can I hold the resonance of peace? Then I'll influence them. Or will I be seduced into their fear and then they've influenced me? Or maybe I've gone into fear and I've influenced them. So it's also about taking responsibility where I'm directing my attention, where I'm directing my focus, and most of all, am I loving? Because I notice that if I move into the quality of love, the beingness of love, then all those separations and all those fear and all those things, they just drop away. So that's where I am. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Holy Days. I like to call it Holy Days, whether it's Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa. We all have some kind of tradition of honoring the light inside of us. So happy Holy Days, everyone. Annetta? Yes. Well, so this year, it's interesting. I think I've been in preparation for this kind of Christmas for a long time. I have a non-traditional Christmas in that I have kind of a non-traditional family arrangement. So, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time looking over my past year and taking um, stock in what I have, what I've accomplished, what I'd like to accomplish, things like that, really a review. And this started a long time ago by accident. I had this situation where I didn't have any place to go. And I still loved all the Christmas stuff. So that part I'm missing. I, I really love, it's funny, I am decidedly non-religious, but I have very strong beliefs. So I picked the things that I liked about Christmas. I love the holiday, you know, the decorations. I love the parties. I love, 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 love the food. And this was all a big part of it. The music, not so much. I could stand a little bit, not so much the, the 24-7 radio station version, no. So I kind of already edited and handpicked what I did at Christmas. So this Christmas is kind of quite interesting in that it's the same thing, but just a, a trimmed down version. And actually, you know, it's nice. It's pleasant. Um, I had taken away the stress of Christmas shopping and all that kind of pressure we put on ourselves years ago. And I look at people running around and being crazy and, you know, just, being super stressed out about this and I'm like why why do that to yourself it's supposed to be an enjoyable holiday <laughs> it's supposed to be a time to relax and be present and um, be grateful for what we have and being looking forward to the new year and, and the potential it has that's the way I look at it anyway so this year is just an amped up version of it you know it's a good time to do all that for me and it's a little bit more quiet um, and that's that's kind of it. I'm I'm feeling okay around all of it and pretty happy actually. So that's my Christmas report. Excellent. Well, I'm very happy to hear that's the case. From my side, uh, in Turkey, uh, Christmas is not really an event, despite the fact that uh, arguably Christianity was, was given the go-ahead in Constantinople in. Uh, and whenever it was, by Emperor Constantine. So Christmas Day has been wonderful. Our friends came over. Family, of course, was together. We placed gifts under the Christmas tree. My kids were unwrapping and pulling wrapping paper and throwing bows around as usual. And I was the architect of the lunch, which ended up nearer towards dinner, actually. But it still tasted good, and uh, most people seemed to be happy. 
I think it's a very good time to reflect, as you've heard me say already in the opening, and also in our previous show, we were talking about these subjects. I think it's a good idea to move onwards and upwards. I'm very excited to meet our guest. How about you? I am thrilled to meet our guest. I've been watching several videos. I've always wanted to have an opportunity to talk with such a being as this one. So, Reverend Bill is on a mission to teach the power of love and forgiveness. Reverend Bill's life has been a spiritual journey spanning slightly over seven decades. His whole life has been a mystical trip in search of gurus, the paranormal, and self-discovery. He has written about his many spiritually transforming experiences and near-death experiences, including supernatural events during his combat tour of duty in the Vietnam War. In his books, he has shared some incredible spiritual events that are beyond both common understanding or explanation. His autobiography, Warrior, A Spiritual Odyssey, takes us on a life quest for love, understanding, forgiveness, and enlightenment. His follow-up book, Alchemy of a Warrior's Heart, continues that mystical journey, including four trips to India for even more profound experiences with holy men, miracles, and his personal relationship with the divine. What he knows for sure after all these years, is that the only thing that is truly real is love. He is an author, an award-winning poet, international motivational speaker, artist, film advisor, veteran advocate, a Vietnam War veteran who earned the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Bronze Star, the Purple Heart Medal, 14 Air Medals, the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry, and so on. He has spoken around the world, including Germany, England, Wales, Bolivia, and India. He has been involved with a dozen films and documentaries, such as In the Shadow of the Blade, which showed on the History Network, and The Art of Healing, shown on PBS TV. Reverend Bill has been on over 800 radio and TV shows over the last 18 years, and has stories about his life featured in over a dozen books by other authors and in hundreds of magazines and newspaper articles. He has had articles in such diverse publications as Parade Sunday Magazine and the Self-Realization Fellowship Magazine, as well as Military Magazines and New Age Magazines. His YouTube video channel has over 70 videos, and has gotten over 550,000 views in the first 18 months it was posted. So this is an amazing guest we're bringing on. Welcome to the show, Reverend Bill. Are you with us? Namaste. And, uh, Namaste. <laughs> and you know, if you've watched any of my videos, I'm not a political person, so I don't usually go down that road. And I want to I want to thank you guys because you guys are a totally different political spectrum than I am, and yet you invited me on your show. So in, in the spirit of that kindness and compassion, uh, I, I will uh, say this. You know, whatever people's views are, I respect. And uh, 
I'm not one that when somebody posts something on a Facebook page and I don't like it, I, I don't, I'm not quick to go to the unfriend page. And I think when, when we kind of reach a level in our society where, where people unfriend people because of their views, uh, we've kind of crossed over a line. And I, and I think this holiday season, hopefully people are going to take a look at things and say, you know, we got to be kinder. We, we, we got to be more loving. And so my message is always about kindness, love, forgiveness, uh, allowing people to be themselves. I mean, if you view something as your truth and you're happy with it, I'm not going to beat you up. Um, and I say that because I'm getting a vaccine. <laughs> uh, and, and so I'm on a different slant on that. So I just want for some people listening here that know me, they know that uh, uh, I am I am not political. And that's about as close as we're going to get talking politics on this. Mm-hmm. Because I like to pick up on that thread that you just uh, mentioned there yeah. about, you know, this is an opportunity of love. What I'm noticing is within my own family, there are these polarizing views. It is that opportunity to see beyond that and love each other anyway. These are the kind of views that were behind the the Civil War. And many are saying, well, we could have another Civil War. And I'm thinking, well, we could. That is one of the possible potentials out there. But the other potential is we can move beyond that to loving each other, whatever our views. And that's what you just said. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, there's too many, there's too many radio shows out there that demonize the other side. I don't care what side you're on. The other side's a demon. And so nothing in reality is black and white like that. It's not evil or good. There's all this area in between. And just because you think the other side is evil doesn't make, your position any better i mean both sides could be wrong so uh I, I am always looking for ways to unite something and if people don't want to believe for example people believe if you don't believe in gravity it doesn't change the truth about gravity right i mean it still affects you right so um i spend my life talking to groups and i talk to groups uh especially veterans groups that i've talked to to groups and churches. I, I take whatever audience I'm given. I don't say, well, this is not my people. These aren't my, my they're not going to agree with my views. And I talk to them anyway. And I try to look for what common ground that we can all stand on and walk together because ultimately we are all, we're all spiritual. We may not be religious, but we're spiritual. Everybody's spiritual. It's like I always get a kick out of somebody saying, this guy's not spirit. We're all spiritual. Mm-hmm. Religion, religion is like politics. You pick and choose what fits your personality, where you live, your family, all kinds of other things go into factor. But religion is an option. Spirituality is who and what we are. And I love that you said that religion is like politics. I mean, that clearly, <laughs> that's a great metaphor. And yes, we are all spiritual. Go ahead, Reverend Bill. But you know, it's it's like, I go to, I go to, I, I speak at every, almost every Christian church, Hindu church, uh, temples, uh, Buddhist, uh, I've done workshops in Buddhist temples. I've talked about every group you can, except for a handful. 
I haven't I haven't been invited or allowed to talk to uh, uh, Scientologists or Mormons. There's certain groups that they have their thing and they, they protect their thing and they don't want uh, outside influence on it. And I respect that. But uh, when I go into a house of, uh, of, of, uh, of worship or a temple, I respect their beliefs. So if I go into a Catholic church and I'm giving a sermon like a few years ago and uh, during Christmas time, I don't talk about reincarnation or Lord Krishna or Shiva. I mean, I respect. So I, I tell I tell stories and make points of view that are based on their religious language and beliefs without varying from the truth. In other words, everybody believes in love and everybody believes in prayer. For example, if we got time for a quick story, please. Uh, I'm in this uh, invited to this this group and they go. One of the people in the congregation goes, well, I've, I've looked at his YouTube videos. This guy's all over the place. Like, what are you going to talk about? And I says, I said, whatever interests you. And the guy says, the only thing that interests me is miracles and loves. I said, okay. I tell him the story about when I'm going down the American River, which is runs right through Sacramento, and people raft on it. And I've been living here 41 years in this area in California. I've only been out on it a couple of times. This one time and the last time I went on this river, I'm going down on the river and we pull off onto a beach and I see down at the end of the beach, all kinds of people running around and there's a body underwater out there that they're dragging in. There was a 17 year old uh, male, this young boy, and he'd been underwater six, eight, nine minutes maybe in this ice cold water. They dragged him up and just laid him on the beach. I'm running down the beach, former lifeguard I am. And, uh, so I'm pushing everybody aside. There's all these young people standing there with their head down. Nobody's doing nothing. Nobody's doing nothing but looking at his body. So I'm getting kind of angry by the time I get down there. And I just grab the body and I you know, put the head back. And, you know, all that lifeguard stuff that I've been taught. Start giving them out to mouth resuscitation. And the whole time I'm thinking, what is wrong with these young people? Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. What to do, right? So finally... Finally, after doing mouth, if you've ever done mouth to mouth, I mean, I, warning, warning, uh, people vomit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, as an old lifeguard, you know this, right? So anyway, so boom, it's all over me twice. So I rinse, I rinse off my face. He stands up. But when I started, he had no pulse, no pulse, no breath. He was ashen white. Uh, he was dead. I mean, for all practical purposes, he was dead. And nine minutes, six to nine minutes underwater is a long time. Wow. So I, he stands up and, he, and he's standing there. And, and I look at this this beautiful young girl, blonde, 16, 17 years old. And she goes, uh, she looks at me and she goes, thank you. And I go, what's wrong with you people? Your friend was dead, laying there on the beach. You didn't do nothing. And she says, oh, no, mister, we were doing something. I said, doing what? She says, we were praying to Jesus that he would send somebody to do what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked up in the parking lot, and there's this bus from San Jose, First Baptist Church of San Jose, and all these young guys run from the bus. And so they were praying for me to come. And I was going to yell at them, and then I'm, and, and I started to say something. She says, and you came. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, we're almost at break time. That's a wonderful story. Oh, my gosh. And they, they learned how to do resuscitation by watching you, too. So they got a lesson. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I love miracles. So if they kept everyone locked down over Christmas, they know that everyone's going to ignore it because you're going to go and see your family at Christmas. Of course you are. And they know that you've got 65 million people in the UK. You can't police 65 million people going to each other's houses for Christmas. You can't do it. There's not enough police officers. So what they've done to try and keep some kind of, you know, appearance of power is give us those days. So it's like, I know you're going around each other's houses, but we let you do it. Because that's better than keeping us locked down, us all doing it anyway, and them openly showing their weakness. Which they have, they can't enforce it. And the police chief constables has said as much that it's unenforceable. And so that's what I think people need to realize is that all these music venues could open, all these theaters could open, all these restaurants could open, all these bars could open, as long as they all opened. Because then it's unenforceable. Hello everyone, my name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Anetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast. Cross my aching Body language clear here. Breathe my breaking heart. Make my stand right here. The action over hope. Make my stand right here. The action over hope. The action. side of the news. Our show tonight is the advent of Aquarius, and our guest is Reverend Bill McDonald, and co-hosting with me are Timothy Sanders, Annetta Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. So, Annetta or Timothy, would you like to jump in with our fabulous guest? I will. I'd love to talk. I actually meant to say also that when I was talking about the my Christmas celebration that I really focus on the winter solstice because it's such a big event. It's the shortest day of the year. And this year we have this incredible event going on Monday where 
we have the planets aligning appearing like a star and we have them moving into the age of Aquarius and I'd like to know what Reverend Bill, what his take is on all that, because I think that's a pretty monumental thing, if we're not mistaken. Well, you know, this, the stars, I don't know, when I, when I was younger, it was like, when the moon is in the seventh house, and Jupiter aligns with Mars. Anyway. I remember that song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to be, I'm, I'm sorry, that takes you back to hair. Yes. There's always some alignment out there. This is this is kind of neat. People are thrilled on it. People shouldn't overread it. Uh, personally, I see a great change in energy. If you want to get down to energy, because everything's about energy. And I was talking earlier. If you didn't believe in gravity, it doesn't make any difference. It's still there. But realize that when these stars line up, it does change the vibrations of what we're feeling here on Earth. All these planets have a certain pull, a certain gravitational. Uh, effect on the earth and and on us so it does affect world events it does affect who we are but i am a great believer in the power of free will and the great power of of doing and being and 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 doing things in spite of how things line up there is an influence by the stars i do believe that but i really do believe that we still are capable of doing things may be more difficult. This lining up for the first time in 878 years or whatever it is, uh, is kind of remarkable and interesting, but there's a lot of things that we'll see in our lifetime that's the first time something's lined up uh, for hundreds of years. I just think that we're going through a cyclic period. Everything is cyclic, just like 100 years ago, you had the, the plague, right? We had the, the Spanish flu. Uh, and then we had a depression. I'm thinking things are cyclic. So we, we're having our own flu 100 years later and uh, economic bad times. Hopefully we've learned a lot of lessons. And that's the good news. The good news is we've learned from 100 years ago. So maybe we're not going to get this great world depression. We're probably going to get a great world recession, which is obvious from businesses going out. And uh, from the economies, you know, pretty much taking a major hit worldwide. But I'm a firm believer that there is light at the end of the tunnel uh, for this and others. I also foresee, somebody was asking me what I see for the future. Uh, in the next 30 years, there's a worse uh, virus coming. There's a worse disease coming. And it's almost a blessing crazy as that sounds, it's almost a blessing that we're going through this worldwide because when it's over, Europe and America and Asia and all the other countries and, and places are going to get together. And hopefully there'll be studies, there'll be think tanks, people will work out what worked, what didn't work, and how do we handle it next time? Because there will be a next time. And the next time won't be as gentle as this. Because as bad as this one is, it is bad, but take a look at the numbers, which can be deceiving. But the numbers, it's a really small amount of people that actually get it, and a small amount of people that actually die from it. Um, imagine if you had a disease that would kill 10% or 20%. So that's what we got to really be looking down the road for. So the good news is science is winning out. They, they've come up with some ways to 
to, to mitigate this. And I'm hopeful that we're going to come up with a better plan next time when this thing has an outbreak wherever it's at that is contained and not allowed to spread because we this thing spread worldwide before anybody did anything. So I don't know if that answered your question on a roundabout way, but um, times are changing. Always have, always will. But in some ways, it's a wheel. It kind of always kind of comes around the same thing again because mankind doesn't learn. So we're having to go through the same periodic baptisms by fire, let's say, uh, of war, of disease, of eco eco yeah, economies going bust. So that's the cycle we're on. But it's an upward cycle, even though it looks like it's really bad and dark right now. Ultimately, I'm a believer that it's 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 going upward, however slowly that may be. Well, that brings me to the part two of that question, which would be, I know that you've had in your lifetime from hearing some of your stories, you've had some insights into future timelines, future events. And where do you see this going in the near future, as in like the next couple of years, the next decade? Do you have a feeling around that? Well, for a knowledge. Okay, you live in San Francisco, right? Yes. Good luck. All right, that's where my sister lives. Good luck. I'm trying to get out of here, by the way. I have. Yeah. I, All right. I, I, I've lost. I've lost my love of California. I can tell you. Well, uh, unfortunately, your opinion is the is the very subtle uh, gathering. What, what's the word I'm looking for? When you you reach a tipping point, the critical mass. California is reaching a critical mass on the negative between riots, looting, fires, which we haven't seen the worst of yet in the next 30 years, drought, which we haven't seen the worst of yet, uh, and earthquakes, not even mentioning earthquakes, or the fact that, you know, you still got Mount Lassen, which is an active volcano, and you got Mono Lakes area, Mammoth Mountain, and you got... Uh, Mount Shasta, all volcanic. Um, God knows what's going to happen to California. But Reverend Bill <laughs> is telling you this. If you're young, get out of here. <laughs> um, it, it, this this yeah. place, it, take a look at where, where'd Cisco go, right? Cisco moved out. Uh, Hewlett Packard moved out. 178 uh, companies, electronic companies. I have moved out of California this year. So they know something, right? Right. Well, no, I, I agree. And I've been on that trail for a long time. And it's it's not just economic. It's not just that we had this. I mean, I tell people about, about how it works here, traffic and things like that. They have to understand that I'm in Alameda County right now. I've lived in the city for 25 years, but I'm across the bay. For people that know the geography here, I'm right across the Bay Bridge, and I'm in Alameda County. And Alameda County had a growth rate in a period of three years of 30%, so 100 plus, you know, plus another 30%. So, and it continues, by the way. That was a few years back. I don't know what it is now, but it has continued to expand. It's become unlivable for so many reasons. So there's the economic thing. There's the, the you know, it's like the rat in the cage and biting at each other kind of thing and I look at this and I'm thinking this can't hold so when you're looking at something like that 
and and we are uh, at least out here in California, and I think it's going on other places in in different degrees. Uh, what is it that you see as a solution to that? Like, what does someone do with that situation, or the insight into what you see coming? Okay, first off, housing prices, California. That's that's been a killer in the Bay Area, which I moved from 41 years ago. Uh, housing prices, I thought, were terrible then, <laughs> but like like all like all pyramids that don't have a good foundation eventually it's going to fall so the housing prices this year this year in the last 6 months you take a look San Francisco housing prices the rents have gone down 20% this year mm-hmm. 98,000 people have moved from San Francisco city that's a negative a loss of of uh uh, population since March to November 1st. Wow. I mean, what, what's the population of San Francisco? Six, seven hundred thousand? I mean, that's that's a big chunk of people. Well, it, it was up to 900 or 800, I think, and 850 was its peak, but I think 800 is the real number that it was. So, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that's, 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 that's one eighth of the population, right? Yeah. So, you take a look at Sunnyvale, Cupertino, San Jose, Santa Clara, Silicon Valley. Uh, it is unlivable financially, economically. I mean, if you're a police officer or, or working for the post office or uh, working in a, a regular a regular people job where you're not getting one of these Silicon Valley million dollar a year jobs, you can't pay rent. I mean, it's insane. So what you asked was, what's the solution? What do I see? I see population dropping off. It's like, I don't, you're not old enough to remember uh, a Yogi Bear, the uh, baseball player and, and the coach, the New York Mets and all that, and the Yankees. But he had an expression. They asked him about some restaurant, and he says, "No, nah, nobody goes to that restaurant anymore because uh, uh, was it that it's too crowded." So anyway, the bottom line was everybody came here because it was the place to go, and now you're going to see reverse in it. What's going to happen is California people are going to inhabit Texas. Arizona, Idaho, <laughs> and that will change the political landscape, the social economic landscape for those states. So it's just going to move move things around to another place. But um, California, uh, unless we get rainfall that gets you back down into your climate change and all that, unless we start getting rain uh, as a normal thing, California will end up uh, basically reverting back to the desert the central valley we need we need water to grow crops here in this valley and a lot of water you know to grow rice and things like that and almonds so that's going to be a problem so california uh and and florida florida for another reason uh, and louisiana for another reason have some problems so i i'd like to put a positive spin on all that but i'm telling people go to boise Uh, i'm here i got grandkids here i got roots here i own a house here it's paid for Uh, if i was not a homeowner and my family wasn't here i'd move out i I would go someplace less crowded and um and and look for greener pastures but you know california is a state of mind as well 
as you were talking about earlier, something about fear or something, when people start to fear things like they fear the economy, they fear the employment, they fear this, they fear that. Uh, California's got a lot of that energy. Uh, we're, it's feeding itself. So, um, yeah, it's a heck of a subject for Christmas. But, uh, <laughs> Reverend, yeah, though, I, may, I didn't mean to go that dark there. Mm. <laughs> to get you. May, well, may I... Since we're talking about San Francisco, let me tell you a San Francisco story, Christmas story. All right. Let's let's upbeat this a little bit because, you know, I go, come on, it's Christmas. Come on, Reverend Bill, get out of the dumps here. But I, it was uh, 51 years ago, uh, and just a couple weeks ago, uh, on the uh, 10th of December, uh, I asked my wife to marry me in San Francisco. She lived in a uh, apartment up on uh, Twin Peaks with a nice view of the city. I mean, you know, it was really nice. Her and her, uh, her roommate, this other woman. And uh, anyway, long story short, I dated my wife in high school and we've known each other since 1960. That's hard to believe, huh? 1960. Wow. Um, so that's, that's 60 years ago for those that are doing a little bit of basic math. And we broke up. I went to Vietnam and fought in a war. She went to University of California, Berkeley, and uh, got her degree. But she came out. I came back out of the Army, and I, it, I hadn't seen her in a while. And I, and I, and I saw her, and I, and I knew I was going to marry her because I had that revelation when I had my near-death experience when I was eight years old. If you, for those that have watched uh, the video on that or, or haven't, basically I had a life-forward life review. And I knew who I was going to marry. So I wasn't worried about it. But I told her, asked her to marry me. And she kept saying no. I asked her. I must have asked her 10 times to marry me. And she said no. Nowadays, they'd probably report me on, on, on Facebook as a stalker. Reverend Bill's a stalker. He keeps coming. You know? Anyway, uh, so after the 10th time she said no, I felt very confident. I went out and bought a, a uh, diamond ring. I mean, why not, right? If she said 10 times no. So, because I knew that eventually she's going to say yes, I just needed the right magic moment. So I carried the ring with me in my pocket, and every time I visited her, I had it there. So I visited her on the 10th of December, and uh, her and her roommate had been putting up a Christmas tree. Remember, this is Christmas time. We're trying to get through a Christmas story here. <laughs> and she's got about 800 lights on this Christmas tree. Now, in the old days, these lights were on a single strand type thing. So if you had one bulb out, right, one didn't work, the whole strand would be off. Every light bulb would be off. And so until you found that bad light, you had no lights at all. And uh, so I'd come to their house for dinner and they were, you know, they were complaining about they couldn't get the lights to work. They told me the whole story. They spent eight hours trying to fix this light so it worked, nothing would work. They were giving up. And I looked at them both and I said, I'll fix it. And they laughed, of course. And I said, no, I'll fix it. And I'm looking at them directly. The tree is behind me. And I reach back randomly with my hand behind me. And I grab at random one bulb on that tree, 800 bulbs. I grab one bulb and just tweak it. And all the lights come on. Right after I told them, this is exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the look on her face. I go, hey, look, you're not going to get a better time. Ask her now, right? So I got down on my knee, pulled the ring out of magically out of my pocket. <laughs> like, you've been carrying that around? I go, yeah, I've been carrying it around for a whole year. Anyway, 
So I, I <laughs> asked her to marry me, and then she basically said, anybody that lucky, I got to go with, right? So that's that's how, when Christmas comes, I start, to, that story always comes back. And my grandkids, I think they'll puke if I say that story one more time to them. Grandpa, we know the story. We know the story. Anyway, yeah, I remember when I was a young guy and we had a Christmas tree. No, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> but uh, so finally, my my son got tired of hearing your stories, and uh, and I and I said, look, look, I said, look, do me a favor. He was working for, he was already working. He was an adult, and I go, he was he was a California High Patrolman, which, believe it or not, my son is retiring from the California Highway Patrol in less than uh, 90 some days. How's that? That makes me hold on that. <laughs> I got a retired son. Anyway, so I said, for a gift, why don't you make me a Christmas story? He goes, what do you mean? Go out and do something. Give me a story from, from Christmas. So he, he didn't understand what I was saying. I said, no, you'll know, just go out. So he's patrolling the Golden Gate Bridge for those who live in the Bay Area, right? So he's he does the the north side of the bridge, crosses over, but he basically patrols, uh, you know, where the tunnels are at up towards Novato. And uh, it was Christmas Day, Christmas Day, and he's working, of course, because that's police officers work on the holidays, and he's driving down one or up 101, just just outside of Sausalito or someplace, and he sees this young man side the highway walking along with some few belongings and stuff but you know in california you can't walk along the highway that's against the law and uh so he could be you know it's christmas day he's not gonna bust this guy's chops for walking on the highway and stuff but he's worried about the guy it's a dangerous place so he pulls over and he asks him what he's doing he says well i'm trying to walk up to the next exit you know okay, okay. finds out he runs the guy's name though he runs it in the system and he finds out the guy was released from San Quentin prison after serving about three years in jail. And uh, he'd been out about two or three months. And he'd been living on the streets because he didn't have any money, didn't have a job. And if you know Northern California or San Quentin, it's not that far from Sausalito in that area. Uh, So he hadn't traveled far. But then my son also noticed that he had his address when he was arrested was in a real ritzy neighborhood in Mill Valley, which is right off 101 there, Mill Valley, very expensive little neighborhood. And so he goes, what's this address? He says, well, that's my parents' place. And he says, why aren't you with them? He says, well, I got, a, I got arrested and I, I was too embarrassed to tell them. And they never know, never knew I was in jail. They don't know where I'm at. They haven't heard from me in over three years. And so my son said, get in the back of the car. So he puts him back to the car. And then my son didn't call into his sergeant and say what he was going to do because he would have never got approved. But there he goes, and he drives to these people's house early in the morning. And like it's like 7 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he parks outside their house, and he says, wait here. And he lets the guy wait in the car. And uh, he opens up the back door so the guy can be seen. And, uh, and then he knocks on the door, and he's, this old couple comes to the door. And he asks them their name, and they say who they are and all that. And he says, well, I got a surprise for you this morning. Now, at this point, the people could have been like, what in the heck are you bringing our, our terrible kid back here for? We threw him out, right? That could have been one, that could have been one thing that happened, right? 
and they could have called his boss and he'd been in trouble. But basically, they, they looked out there and they saw their son standing next to the high patrol car. And the tears started rolling down their cheeks. And they told my son, we wanted this Christmas to be special. And we've been praying for three years to see our son. And that's all we wanted for Christmas was to have our son home. <laughs> and, then my, and then my son goes, okay. So he gets in and releases them, and the, and the kid goes over the room. He's kind of like hesitant, but he goes, and then they gets, he watches the hug and all that stuff. And uh, so my son kind of choked up a little bit, told me the story, and uh, he took risks because he, he reunited this, this family on Christmas morning. And it, it could have been, you know, bad results, but he trusted. And he also trusted because I asked him, I said, make me a Christmas story. Reverend Bill, may I ask you? Yeah, this sounds like an, another example of of you know this sort of like moments in life when there are these connections, sort of whether you call it interdimensional or, or miraculous, or, or there are many words to describe this. But it's almost like there are two doors next to each other with a very short corridor between them. One person is on one side of one door and the other person is on the other side of the other door. If one person is receptive, in other words, they have the door open, and the other person also is uh, receptive in the same sort of resonance and has the door open, then some information or even the person itself can walk through that very, those two doorways and the very short corridor. There's a connection, a connection which is not necessarily logical by sort of normal time or, or laws of physics. This connection, uh, I've heard many of your, not, not too many, I've, I'm still enjoying, but I've heard many of your stories where you have this incredible knowledge, this incredible knowing of what's going to happen. And I'd really like to ask you if you think that there's something which is unique to you or if it's something which it's everybody's born right. That's like asking somebody like uh, Tiger Woods, can anybody play golf? Yeah, anybody can play golf, but Tiger Woods plays a little bit better than somebody else, right, or at least used to. I, I think that the talent, the talent, the ability is there for all to tap into, but it's, it, it's like uh, – Anything you can't play a piano unless you learn to play a piano and study and practice and practice and practice and practice. Um, and over lifetimes, you'll, you'll you may reach some amazing abilities, you, you may be a prodigy. I think, uh, mystical abilities, ESP, teleportation, levitation, seeing the future, seeing the past, all these things, uh. It's a matter of development. It's about energy. It's about exactly. changing mm -hmm. the energy in your spinal cord and in, your, in, your, in the actual consciousness, your brain, the brain itself, creating this vibration. And so, like I said, anybody can get there, but not, it's not possible for a lot of people based on their level of energy that they have right now. And negative energy is, is is like reverse energy, so that's like taking away from positive energy. So 
No, I would totally agree with, with that. I think that everybody is born with the ability. It's a question of whether they actually believe and have the uh, belief in themselves to take the first step in that direction to accept well, well, and to use well, that tool. Yeah, belief is a, a lot of it, especially when it comes to healing. But I, I believe I can play basketball, and, but I'm never going to make the NBA. <laughs> you know, uh, So it's like DNA spiritual dna think about it like you get dna for you could do mathematics and your family everybody in your family's good at math everybody in your family's good at running everybody in your family's good at music whatever it is dna spiritual dna for mystical type talents and abilities there is a dna for it and it does run in families but how you get in that family is 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 a gift of your karma so yeah you've earned it and you developed it I'd very much like to explore this, but we're coming up on a break fairly soon. But I think this is definitely a discussion point between if there is, according to conversations we've had sometimes most of the time after the, after the, uh, the Friday evening shows, but if there is a combined consciousness, if, if there is a connection to a universal consciousness, then there is a sort of a, a knowing um, and a knowing of, of experience. But another way of gaining the ability to do something is to practice and practice and practice. Let's come back to this after the break. You're listening to the other side of the news. And tonight's show is called Advent of Aquarius. on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nominally access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand there are so few there in the thousands we are billions we are billions of people 
they need technology, very advanced technology to be able to control us. And that is where AI, 5G comes in. And then through the vaccine also get rid of two thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda they want to play out. But I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Oh, like my mom said, fan-bloody-tastic. Hi, this is Ola Damgold from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years, I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows, so enjoy. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our wondrous guest tonight is Reverend Bill. And before I hand it back to you, Timothy, I just have to say that, Reverend, I was really glad I was muted during your prodigal Christmas son story because I started crying and I thought, oops, (laughs) it really touched my heart. Thank you. Thank you. So, Timothy, back to you. Thank you. Yes, indeed. It was a very moving story. Um, I I would like to talk a little bit more about the subject of connectivity because it's something which is close to my heart, close to my mind. I believe that we are all able to connect into, uh, some may call it an Akashic record, um, or even sort of it's a real-time record. Who knows? I, I mean, I don't think a record is a very good name to describe it, actually. But let's just say database, it, it's it's um, brain, it, it's universal, you know, uh, dynamic thought process even. Uh, millions of ways to describe this. And I think that that does allow people the potential to tap in and know things and when I say no things, I mean it is a deep knowing. It is not like uh, I know how to do algebra. It is just a question of I know with every cell in my body that that is the right answer. And I certainly have followed that through my life for decades. And it is something which I believe in very strongly. I call it my instinct. I'm not a particularly religious person, but I guess I could be described as a spiritual person. And listening to many of your your interviews over the last few days, Reverend Bill, I I'm not PP racing here, as they say in Europe, but I'm I'm just trying to say I could relate directly to some of the things you were saying. Now I'm not trying to say I sat in a helicopter. It's some of the amazing things that you've done in your career. I'm not trying to say that at all, but I can say that I can understand and relate to knowing something is going to happen, and it does happen. And also, I know that sometimes it's going to happen with a, you know, a hundred percent probability. And other times, I have the feeling I would love to know what is about to happen, but I don't have the confidence because the feeling is not there, the gut reaction, the instinct is not there. Can, can you relate to this at all? I mean, you said you had a fifty-year future download when you were eight years old. Yeah. Can, can you relate to any of what I'm saying? Uh, I, I don't even know if I can relate to my own experiences. It's like. I look at, there's times I wake up and I'm saying, how the heck did I know? How did I know that? Because I, I, when I go on things, I, I don't analyze. I don't, 
you know, look at the data, the input, common sense, reality. Uh, I just go, this is it. Let's do it. You know, it's like uh, like one of the stories, even though we're talking about Christmas, the only good part about this story is the people that were affected by this story have continued to have good Christmases since then. So when I was uh, flying a helicopter, and this is talking about doing something because you know a lot of people, well, I believe this is going to happen, but how many people would actually take the same route that I did when you hear the story? Mm-hmm. This is the story about when I was charged with mutiny, which is a very serious offense in the military. That's a death by firing squad or life in jail. I don't know if people realize that's it, it, by disobeying a direct order in combat, you know, one or more, but two or more people, uh, mutinies is worse than just, I could have killed a sergeant in a fight and got seven years in jail, but by mutiny, you know, by not wanting to carry out their orders, uh, you can go to jail for life or lose your life. It's an interesting value system. Huh? Anyway. This is when you were in this, is it Huey Cobra flying over I was in a Huey, people? Not, yeah, not a Cobra. Huey. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, there is a Huey Cobra, but that's just a two-passenger little fighter. But we were flying along, had a new pilot, and he sees we're in this area uh, where there was Viet Cong, obviously, in the neighborhood and everything. And it was uh, one of those places in Vietnam was called a free fire zone, meaning if you got shot at, you could return the fire. And that sounds odd in a war, but there was places in Vietnam where you got shot at, and you couldn't shoot back until you called Saigon and went through 10 or 15 minute discussion with headquarters if you could return the fire. I mean, if you're in a helicopter, it's like it's too late. I mean, you got to, it's got to be split second, right? <laughs> so we look down there and he sees these, what appears to be Viet Cong in black pajamas, looks like they had weapons on their shoulders, and there's 30 of them marching down a road with one in the front. And uh, he assumed he was a West Point graduate, just got there from Germany, been in country three weeks. He assumed that was a Viet Cong marching in a formation, which ought to give you a clue already. <laughs> That's kind of odd. So we're up several hundred feet, about 800 feet, maybe a thousand. And he wants me to open up with my machine gun on them. Gives me an order, you know, shoot them, you know. And I got an M60 machine gun, which fires 750 rounds. A minute. We're talking big rounds, 7.62 millimeter. That's a big size round. And uh, I knew intuitively, uh, no, no, don't do that. Plus, I had visions of when I was eight years old, so I knew this was this was not the event I was going to to get involved in doing the wrong thing. So I just said no. And he threatened me with a um, you know with court martial and all that kind of stuff. And and I said no, that's not what you think it is. I'm so not, this not, is you poised, hanging out the side of a helicopter with your finger on the trigger of this huge machine gun, right? And a group of people. Absolutely. And, and if unbelievable. I was, if I was wrong, I was going to get shot by those guys down there, and I'm going to get court-martialed on top of that. So then the gunner on the other side, who flew with me uh, for several months and seen me do other th- weird stuff, he was asked to fire in my place, and he said, I've been with McDonald long enough to know that if he says something, I trust his intuition. I'm not firing. And now there's a brave man. I was brave because I knew he was brave because he was trusting me. My God. I mean, so now there I am in a situation where I'm going to put both of us in jail for the rest of our lives or, or, or shot. Right. 
It's yeah. all on me. And I'm giving a final thing. Uh, you're going to get court martial. You guys are both going to jail or firing squad. Uh, it's now or never. And I said, never. Yeah, basically, that was it. As it turned out, I said, tell you what, go down there. I'll have my machine gun ready and, if they, if, and fly right over them. If they shoot at me, I'll shoot back. We'll take care of it. So we flew over them, and it turned out to be 30 children from the village being led by mm-hmm. a priest, a Catholic priest, in, in his black, you know, uh, whatever they were. And they weren't carrying weapons. They were carrying gardening tools over their shoulder. Now, you think about that. Had I opened up and killed 30 children and a priest, I don't know what religion you are, but that's that's got to be a, a cardinal sin of some kind, right? That's a bad Absolutely. one. Absolutely. In every one in universal religion, yes. Now, now, the fact that I was sitting in that seat instead of someone else from our company or uh, or anybody else, I mean, the outcome of that would have been different. It would have been an atrocity. It would have been... Uh, 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 to me, it would have been a crime, right, against humanity. That would have that would have killed those thirty children. It would have affected their parents, their grandparents, their neighbors, and the pilot that ordered me to do that. That would have destroyed his life forever, plus mine. Absolutely. So, so sometimes you make decisions, and if you look for data now, normal people, because people hear this, oh, yeah, I do this, yeah, I do this. No, you wouldn't have. If you're threatened with jail, I was 21 years old. I would have, I'd still be in jail today, right? Mm. Uh, I'm wondering. I'm wondering with all these events, like I, I made this sort of rather crude analogy of like two doors opening. If two, if both people are sort of um, resonating, uh, if both doors are open, then there's a possibility for communicate through the small corridor. I'm wondering if, if when something like this happens, when this, oh, this okay. I got connection, a, I got a connection. story. I got a story that'll connect that for you. Okay. Can I? Can I just? Ask yeah, my question ahead. very, very quickly. Yeah. When when that happens, uh, I think that that provokes a lesson in life. And, I, and I'm just referencing things that, that's happened in, in my life and also things that I've heard that happened in your life. For example, when your daughter had the uh, skiing accident and you healed her leg and then two days later she fell down the stairs and damaged her leg worse than before and so on. I think that these things provoke a challenge, almost like a weighing of the heart against the feather. I can relate one story. Going back to when I was, uh, let's say, 19 years old, something along those lines, I was working in a, in, a, in a bar of a hotel, and I was bar manager. It sounds very grand, whatever it is. But I had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to go in my car, drive out out of the city I was living in, uh, which is about, I don't know, 15, 15 miles away, something like that, to this precise location which I knew of but never been to before in my life and I had this feeling I had to be there right now as soon as possible and it had something to do with my girlfriend at the time and blah 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 so the other details aren't necessary so I said to the people in the hotel I said look something's coming up I need to go of course I couldn't say I had this premonition but I just said something's coming up I, I need to go and sort it out can you please close the bar for me so they said yes so I drove in my car as fast as I could uh, possibly the needle just licking over the limits, shall we say. But along the way, I came to a, uh, what you call a, a dual carriageway, you know, um, freeway with multiple lanes. And uh, as I was motoring along there, I knew I could open up the car and speed along a little bit faster. But would you believe of what I found on that one piece of road was a black car with the lights out, 
parked across both lanes. So unless I had, you know, this amazing reaction, normally I would have just slammed in the side of it and I would have probably hurt that person and, and also myself very badly. But the point is I had this idea to swerve around it. And sure enough, when I arrived at this location that I had this premonition about, Sure enough, there was my girlfriend in her car talking to her ex-boyfriend. And it sounds a ridiculous story when, I, when you're talking about saving lives from you know, machine guns out of helicopters. But my point is that this premonition was so incredibly real, it motivated me to do something out of the ordinary. But in following that premonition, I could have killed myself along the way. And I think it's very interesting how when we have this connection, this, this opening up of portals, if you like, or, or connecting with whatever it is, you know, the universal construct, um, then a lesson, a lesson is along there, like a milestone. I just wanted to share that with you. Did, I mean, for example, you know, when I'm listening to your stories about uh, serving in Vietnam, I'm, I'm listening to your stories about uh, your heart attacks, and so on, your, your daughter with the staircase and so on. It seems as when these amazing miracles happen, there is also like the opposite, like the inverted, I don't know how to say, cow pat, which can potentially be trod in to, to gain the lesson. Would, would you say that that's true from your experience? There's, there's always lessons for those that are awake. Unfortunately, most people are not awake and they get little lessons all the time and they and they they don't heed them they don't listen to that inner voice so but connecting with others uh, for example that reminds me of, of the because uh, you said you had to be someplace i have a similar oh i have lots of i probably got two thousand stories along this line but one that stands out i call the hitchhiker story and I, I I kept waking up having this feeling for a couple of weeks that there was some place I had to be. I had to help somebody. Somebody was needing me. And this passage of the Bible where the, where the Bible talks about, uh, you know, bewares of, of strangers because they could be an angel in disguise. You know, there's a, a famous Bible quote. And uh, I'm not much of a, a quoter of the Bible, but it kept standing out on me. And so I went to a I went to a bookstore and there was a pile of books uh for sale for like two dollars for these hardbacks and I and I reached underneath this pile and I just pulled one book out and opened it up randomly and on that page was that quote from the Bible as their headline thing for a chapter. And uh so uh I thought, well that's interesting. Then I went to a dentist's office and in the dentist's office I picked up a uh, guidepost magazine that they had laying there. And the first page I turned to, that same quote from the Bible was there again. And I thought, wow, something about a stranger, you know. So that that week, I'm working uh, in Sacramento in my office, and uh, I just, 10 o'clock or so in the morning, I just go, that's it, I got to leave. So I just tell my boss and all the people, I said, I'm leaving. I'm going home. I didn't tell people I'm sick. I'm going on vacation. I just said, I'm leaving. Nobody asked me why. I mean, it was kind of odd in itself, right? So I'm driving <laughs> towards yeah. Stockton, and, and I'm going by Kaiser Hospital, which is right next to Highway 99 there, and there's this young man, turns out to be 22 years old, standing alongside the highway hitchhiking, 
and he's got a t-shirt on. He's chilled. It's raining. And he's got socks on his hands for gloves. And he's, he's just in bad shape. He's, and he's got, he's got a beard that looks like, you know, Scooby-Doo, you know, you know, that, uh, the guy that, that Scooby-Doo, the who's uh, Scraggy or whatever the guy is. Anyway, I remember the character for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah with a little beard coming out. It was shaggy. Shaggy. There you go. How can I forget? Shaggy. Scooby Doo. All right. So I, I just I got to pick that guy up. I saw him and I knew right away. I got to pick that guy up, right? So I I pull off side of the road and, and and I tell him get in. He says he's going to Texas. And I said, well, I'm only going another six miles, five six miles down the road. And I said, but stay in the car. And he was all. He was shaken up and everything. He was he was he was uh, shaken because he was cold and uh, frozen. And so I listened to his story, and he told me that uh, he was out of foster care when he was 18 years old in California. At 18 years old, they kick you out of foster care, and you're on your own. Boom, there you are, facing the world, right? No place to go, no nothing. And so he went to live with his grandmother up in. Uh, along the coast up in Humboldt County someplace. And then she just died on him a couple of weeks ago at, at this time. So he said he was hitchhiking to see if he could find his real dad lived in Texas. He had kind of a vague address where he was at. And, uh, and so he just went on about that and everything else. I said, okay, just stay in the car. So we get to, we get to Elk Grove. I take my exit. I pull, I said, stay in the car, we get to my house. I said, come on in. And you got to realize the guy had been hitchhiking for two weeks. He smelled really bad. I mean, his clothes were funky. And he didn't have anything else with him. It's like, uh, I said, okay, come on in. I, I said, here's a shower. Here's clean towels. Here's soap. I said, give me your old clothes. I'll have them washed. And while he was in showering, I, I took out a backpack, and I filled it with, with clean underwear and socks and shirts and a sweater a sweatshirt and some jeans. I just happened to have some clothes that were going to fit him. And uh, and then I put some camping gear in there. And I figured if the guy's going to be hitchhiking, he's going to be on the road. He's going to need a, a rain gear. He's going to need a flashlight. I mean, all this stuff, right? So he comes out, and I have all that stuff for him. And, and then he sits down, and I'm feeding him a, a lunch. And, uh, and my daughter and my wife look at me like, why do you got this strange kid in the house, right? And And so... He's talking to me and he's telling the story about uh, uh, how he was camping in the field where I picked him up right next to that hospital. He was out in that big field and he was camping there and he was sleeping in a sleeping bag and it rained that night really bad. And his rain in a sleeping bag was one of those kind of bags that gets wet. You know, it's like cotton or something. It's just ruined. So, but he was sitting there all night long, frozen rain coming down on him thinking about ending his life, that it wasn't worthwhile. He had nothing to live for, no place to go. Nobody loved him. And then I stopped him. And I said, and then you had a vision. He says, yeah, I had a real life, real life dream. And a man that looked exactly like you came to me and was wearing your clothes and everything just like you are now. And he said, and I stopped him again. And I said, and God loves you. And then he broke down and cried because he says that's what the, that's what the man in the vision told him. God loved him. And uh, so, and then he goes, I don't believe all this. This is you know, he was like uh, unbelievable. He couldn't believe what happened, right? So, 
I told him, I said, now, some people say I'm psychic, that I know things, that I do things. I says, I'm going to give you something that will confirm what happened to you last night was reality. And he kind of looked at me, and I opened up a, a kitchen drawer. You know, everybody's got one of those junk kitchen drawers where I had, I had an old pack of sugarless gum in there. It was half gone, but it was sugarless gum. And I take it out. I mean, see, this is not logic. Logic would say, why are you going to give me sugarless gum, right? This is the answer to the, to the big philosophical question. But I take it, I put it in my hand, and I go over to him, and I, and I take his hand, and I put it right in the palm of his hands. And then I let go, and he looks at it, and he sees the sugarless gum, and he goes, and that's what the man gave me. It's exactly what the man gave me. And so I said, believe. Amazing. And he broke down and cried. And of course, the family was like, okay, Bill's at it again. <laughs> but I prayed exactly that. what I mean. It's like you, you two people out of the universe connected on that timing and you left your work, you left desk yeah, at that absolutely. precise moment because you knew you had to connect with that person at that time you, without even knowing you yep. had to be where, where you needed to be. Yeah, yeah, otherwise somebody else would have picked him up or you know, it would have never happened. But he needed he needed the connection because he was suicidal and he also had no clothing, no food, no jacket, nothing, no money. I gave him a little money. I gave him a little food. I, I took care of all his needs and put him back on the road uh, on his way to Texas. And that was around 1991 or so. So, um, God, that's 20 years ago, huh? No, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. So he's probably telling this story to his grand, uh, to his children. Yeah, so he's basically in his 50s, but his life would have never got there. So it was just, okay, talk about another coincidence, how much time we got. We got time for me to tell another story here? Sure. <laughs> okay. We love good stories. A, a story with me and my daughter, because it just meshes really well. I'll, I'll kind of get into the time frame I got here. But I... I it deals with the song Amazing Grace, which I think everybody at some level emotionally identifies with. I mean, nobody hears that song being played musically or sung that doesn't get some emotional buy-in. I mean, you buy in on that song, right? It's just, there's something about it. So that's my favorite song. So I'm down in Los Angeles. Uh, I have a friend with me and uh, I take him to a restaurant. We eat, we're coming back. We're going back to this hotel where there's this conference going on. And uh, we're walking down the street and this homeless young guy, dirty guy, comes right up and yells right at my friend in his face and says, and I don't remember the exact date, but I'm just making up a date, but June 13th, 1953, and points a finger at him and runs away. And so my friend kind of just stands there and I go, does that mean something to you? He says, yeah, that's my birthday. And so it's like, well, that's pretty good coincidence, right? Some homeless guy yells your birthday at you. So we cross the street, and there's another homeless guy, a, a black gentleman. He's kind of grubby and dirty. He's been out there a while, and he's got a, a saxophone. He's got it in his hands, and he's got the saxophone case opened up in front of him with you know, a few dollars in it and some coins. So obviously, he's playing for money. And he's standing right outside of the metro station, which is those subways they got in Los Angeles. You know, they, they go down underground. The stairs come up there. And I walk up to him. And I go, can you play a song for me? Do you take requests? And he says, try me. And I says, can you play Amazing Grace? And he looks at me and says, I've never played it, but I'll give it a try. 
I said, okay. So he starts playing the most amazing piece of, of music that you ever heard on a saxophone. But you can tell his background is jazz. So it's kind of a jazz version of Amazing Grace, but it is so heartfelt. It's just so loving. I'm watching the guy play, and it's like he softens up his old image. It's like he's glowing. He's like ebony. He's not this dirty black anymore. He's like black ebony, shining. I mean, it's just beautiful, right? And I notice that nobody is moving around me. Everybody is standing still on the street corner of Los Angeles. The light's changing, and none of the cars are moving. Everybody's listening to him playing that saxophone. People coming up from the subway have stopped on the stairs, and the line's backed up of people because they're all listening to this guy, all listening. I go, wow, this is amazing. So he gets through, and I'm just really impressed. I, I, I give him some more money. I say, play it again as we walk away, and everybody's just looking, listening. So I get home, and I'm telling my daughter, she come over to, to my house, and she, she came over because she needed a ride to go get her car and needed a ride for me. And I said, okay. I said, well, let me tell you something interesting that happened to me. And she says, was that on Thursday? And I said, yeah. And I started to talk. And she goes, oh, was that at 1 o'clock? And I go, yeah, exactly 1 o'clock. She says, let me tell you what happened to me at 1 o'clock on Thursday. So her and her boyfriend at the time were driving around Sacramento, and they were trying to get a country and western music station on the radio. This is Sacramento, so forgive us. We do this in the country up here. But, uh, and, and so they, they were flipping the channels, and all of a sudden they come across music playing a real beautiful version of Amazing Grace, musical version. And so they were just blown away. So they pulled over into a parking lot and sat there and turned off the car and just listened to the radio. We're talking about, you know, 18-year-old 18, 18 girl, 19-year-old girl, and a guy. I mean, come on listening to a music, Amazing Grace, no less, in a parking lot. So they just thought it was the most beautiful thing they've ever heard. And she told me, I said, wow, that's really kind. So I told her my story. We both said, that's cool. So we got in the car, and uh, she turned on my, my truck radio. And on the radio, playing at random, because I didn't have it at any particular station, there was Amazing Grace being played on the radio as we drove off. Now, how's that for coincidences? Oh, beyond coincidence. <laughs> beyond. So oh there's between me and my daughter, and it, it just, and, and it played out. And then hearing it after we told each other's stories, you know, and then to have it actually play on the radio for both of us together, that's beautiful. You know, so I am open to that kind of experience all the time. And so consequently, when you're open to that, more of that happens. To get back to what uh, Tim was saying, I believe. So, Reverend Bill, we're at break time. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. Our show tonight is the advent of Aquarius. Our amazing guest is Reverend Bill McDonald, co-hosting our Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kintia. We'll catch you after the break.
the other side of the news, my name is Christopher James, and I just wanted to give my full support to these wonderful people who are bringing incredible light forward at this time and moment in our world. The truth has never been more important, and I was incredibly blessed to be with them and share with them enormous truth on our very first interview, and I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing our world finally coming together under one hood, under one understanding that there's truly only one of us, and that there's only love that matters in this world. And this one truth is going to save our world. And I'm so blessed to be able to bring this forward and share this light with my fellow man and woman from this show this evening. So support them all you can moving forward. They're an incredible bunch of people. And Godspeed. Midnight.com. Join Richard C. Hoagland and an array of fascinating guests as we explore real-world topics and events through the lens of hyperdimensional physics. Join Club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows. Only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcast heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research. Real data. Real science. The other side of midnight.com. To the other side of the news, our wondrous guest tonight is Reverend Bill McDonald. The show is called The Advent of Aquarius. Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll co-hosting with myself, Kinsia. So, Reverend Bill, I want to explore a topic, touch upon what both you and Timothy were talking about, how these premonitions can also be crossroads between a dark result or a light result. Uh, I think where we are now as a species, as humanity, is that we are at a crossroads where we are choosing the world we're going to step into, that it's all true because it's all being received in our inner light, in our consciousness. And so I think that in some other alternate universe, you weren't the uh, gunner on that helicopter. And in some other universe, Timothy, you didn't make it. But in this one, we made it. And I'm bringing this up because right now we're at a place where the COVID question is causing each of us to examine, to turn inward, to hone our inner senses. or to attach ourselves to the outside propaganda from the news media or their viewpoint, however you want to see it. So 
I think we are each at that point where we're going to choose the universes we're stepping into. So respectfully, Reverend Bill, I I hear you mention that you see dark times ahead, and, and I do too, but I also see these as opportunities of transformation and love, and I'm not so feeling that it has to be as long a time as you're perceiving, not to say that that isn't correct, but I think each of us is at a point where we're going to choose what's happening in our universe, that as we embody that light, it's all about opportunities to love. So this COVID question is an opportunity to love. But I also think what you said about we're free will beings. And that being said, we could be the gunner pilot who says, no, I won't do it. Or we could just surrender and go along with the agenda of the one issuing the orders. And here we are. We're having orders being issued to us. And each of us individually has to examine in the core of our being what is the truth for us and act on that. And so to explore the idea of alternate universes with you, do you have any <laughs> reflections on that? I have reflections on everything. And actually, uh, I, I'm a strong believer in, in personal willpower, personal free will, free choice. But sometimes you have this convergence where you have a chance to make decisions. And had you made one decision just to, to go back to where you were going from, you end up in a different place, a different parallel universe. I believe there are multi, multi-futures. That's why, for example, when somebody has a, a, a star chart done or a naughty uh, palm leaf read, like in India, where they, they read the future, or you have an astrology chart done, or you have some fortune teller, the fact you had a, an incredible thumbprint, I think, done the news. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to, don't want to di- digress, but that was an incredible story as well. If we have time, maybe we'll come back to Kintia. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, jump in any time. So let's, let's hear where you were going, Reverend Bill, with that thought. But uh, bottom line is, I do believe in multiverses, and because I don't believe in time and space. Mm. So, uh, Everything is now and everything is right here. So wherever your wherever your focus is, is where you're at. So therefore, when people say, how do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Because my next book, which has an interesting title, is coming out at the end of next summer. It's called I Still Remember Tomorrow, which people go, what? Is that a misprint? I love that title. I, I still remember tomorrow. I have trouble at my age remembering where I left the keys at yesterday or, or a few minutes ago, but I still remember tomorrow. And it's like, let's get low tech here for a minute. You guys are are young enough and old enough to remember reel to reel tapes, right? Mm-hmm. Or VCR tapes. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Right. So a VCR tape. You rent a movie. You go to Blockbuster. Remember those guys? <laughs> Blockbuster. You rent a movie. And, and somebody's watching it. You walk into the room. You don't know how long they've been watching it. So when you come in there, all you see on the screen is what they're watching on the television, right? At that moment, you don't know why that guy's in jail in that movie, right? You don't know why people don't like him or what's happening to him. And, and, and you're worried about him because 
you don't know what's going to happen to them at the end of that tape in the future. Mm-hmm. But our existence is already on like a VCR tape. The past, the present, and the future are all in the same tape. So it's just a matter of not making any super jump in time or anything. All you got to do is just slide your focus. All I do is move my focus to that part of my life tape. And so I know what's going to happen. Uh, Don't you think there are multiple tapes? If there are multiple universes? Although in one universe, Timothy, you know, didn't make it. He ran into that car. And in another universe, he didn't. All possible. Nothing's impossible. But let's get down. Let's, let's, Let's define it. Uh, even more simple. Since I only believe in one consciousness, this is all God or God's dream. None of us are real. Our ego and our identification with the I, the me, who we are, gives us form, shape, and a body and gives us a life. Therefore, if there's only God, then there is no reincarnation. There is no incarnation. There's only this dream, and when we wake up, we'll realize we're the dreamer, God. So, in essence, none of that is real. Not even- Ooh, I love that. That brings me to to this awareness that I was having that right now what we're perceiving as reality is really like a a goldfish that's in a little bowl and thinks that's total reality and has no idea the huge universe outside that goldfish bowl in and it seems like consciousness is that way that we are humanity has been inside this goldfish bowl and we're about to jump out of that goldfish bowl into a multiverse with brilliant colors and multiple options and hmm you know it, the the outside the bowl is much larger much more real than inside the bowl and I'm telling you that you are the bowl. You are the outside and you're the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So take a whole different track. It's like I got in an argument with a guy on some radio show in Europe. What do you mean you don't believe in reincarnation? I go, no, I don't believe in reincarnation. And I also believe the guy, the guy that says, well, I was Jesus in the last lifetime, or I was John the Baptist, or I was Queen of Mary or Scots or something. You know, And I'm going, you know what? In a reality of it, since we're all one, mm-hmm. yeah. And so yeah. was I. <laughs> Everybody was Jesus. Come on. Right. Right. And and and, Which, and you know, I think that artists and I use that implying anyone who's in using their creativity, I don't mean just a visual artist, that artists tap into the stream of consciousness of previous quote previous artists. They tap into that stream of knowing and bring forth that aspect of consciousness in that stream they're like they're tapping into the stream of awareness and all of us are flowing in these streams of awareness and it's like you were saying you know if you practice something and you become much more immersed in it then of course you're going to bring through that clarity like that man playing his saxophone was bringing through the music of the heart that just stopped everyone. I think what you're talking about is like the enigma of the smile of Mona Lisa, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, is it dots of, 
you know, uh, pigments and, and oil mixed up on a piece of canvas, which is something which can be analyzed or photographed or seen or admired. But the expression, the enigma within that expression, the emotion that it brings out into other people, or which can be different as they, as they perceive it differently, but that is a messenger or it is it's a, a transportation of the knowledge, wisdom, the feelings from that artist, or, and obviously communicated from the model in, in the original painting uh, to to the moment when you see it and visualize it. So, you know, my kids, when they go to Paris, they can see it. I saw it a couple of decades ago. You know, each one of those, that enigma will come to those people in a different way and you perceive it in a different way. So I think artists are time travelers in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've often, you know, <laughs> I'm glad you say that because you in like a lot one. of, I like that because <laughs> in a lot of, a lot of my paintings, my early paintings, like Reverend Bill, he doesn't know why he's doing it. He's just doing it. I would paint these things and it was years later, I'd say, oh my gosh, that's what that was about. It was like a revelation. I had no idea what it was about when I was painting it. But then years later, I come to find out, oh, that's what that's about. It's like this inner knowing is a, the arts are a communication of this out of time. Uh, the arts live outside of time. They are timeless. And that's why when we look back at civilizations, we always look at the arts because they're like the spearhead of that spaceship that's going in this perceived linear reality. They are projecting forward. And, you know, that's why movies are oftentimes projecting possible futures. What's your take on that, Reverend? Oh, but I can hear you, Timothy. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I think that you're speaking about this connectivity that an artist is more likely to perhaps resonate with what I'm calling the sort of the portal or the potential connection. And I think if we are all one, and if we go back to that moment in time that uh, Reverend Bill was talking about when he was sitting on the side of that helicopter, which is, I'm, I'm visualizing as an incredible momentous moment in time, when he said, no, I'm not going to pull the trigger on these people below, I think he had a direct connection that perhaps he, for some time in a parallel universe, parallel dimension, or even instantaneous connection with the people, that he was those people on the ground. So he knew not to pull that trigger because there was a connection. He was one and the same as them. And I think that's what we're talking about, is that knowing, inner knowing where every cell in your body is 100% sure that is the right decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Reverend Bill, your take on all this? First off, he says about knowing that the person on the ground is you. That's exactly how I viewed the war. I never fired a round, and I fired a lot of rounds in Vietnam. I never fired a round in anger. I never thought of them as my enemy. They were opposing warriors, and they were following their dharma. So I held nothing. If they were trying to kill me, I didn't hold it against them. That was their job. Um, I see all as myself. And when people start seeing all as yourself, it's all one. Not just one family, but it's all one, literally. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different because you don't want bad things to happen to other people. And when somebody does something nasty mean to you, you got to realize it's through their it's through their ignorance that they did that. If they realized what they were doing to hurt you or whatever, uh, 
if they were fully spiritually mature, they wouldn't do that. So always, always pray for and wish your enemy the best. Um, the people that teach you the greatest lessons are the people that hurt you the most. They consider you may consider them. Others may consider them your enemy. To me, I always look at them, them as my teachers. So when you have a bad boss or bad parent or bad neighbor or bad guy done something to you, or it's there's a lesson there. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you what. This is being Christmas. I wanted to give a little hopeful story here, um, because if you read any of my books or. I don't think I don't think I even have this. I don't think I have a video on this. <clears throat> I, I had really, really a bad episode of skin cancer. I've had bad episodes where you know they cut my nose off and eyelids and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about this face. My face was so bad, I had to take six, seven months off work because <clears throat> I looked like Frankenstein. The face was just rotting off. And if you see me now, you go, "What are you talking about?" Right? You know, but. I was recuperating for for six months, and they, just about before I went back to work, I needed to recapture my soul. I needed to recapture something because I've been through such a period of great pain physically, and 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 ugliness. Every time I looked at myself, the ugliness of this disease, I looked like a monster. Uh, and then finally, starting to heal, and I took my wife on a trip. We drove to Mount St. Helens up in Washington State where the volcano went off just, you know, short time, you know, a year or two, few years before. And we driving up there and we made the comment that, wow, it's, uh, everything's grown back, right? It's like, it was all destroyed. It was damaged and it was nothing. Cause I saw right after it happened, it was nothing. And now we're driving around there and it's grass. There's trees coming up, small trees, but there was trees. Life was coming back after the landscape was destroyed, and I looked at that, and I and I and I and I visualized that as myself, my greater mm-hmm. volcano exploding and destroying everything. The skin cancer basically destroyed my face, and but it was coming back, and, and there was hope. And so we're there driving up up this hill towards the volcano, and we see a, a beautiful one of the most beautiful rainbows I've ever seen. It's up ahead, and. You know, the optical illusion where it looks like it's hitting the road ahead of you, right? You know, and you know, when you get there, it's going to keep being ahead of you, right? It's going to keep being ahead of you because it's just, an, you can't, you can't actually reach it. Well, this day, we got to the road and it looked like it was right in front of me. So I, had my, I stopped the vehicle, I got out, and that rainbow was actually hitting the asphalt right in front of my bumper. I mean, it was right there. This is where it starts. This is where it ends, right? And my wife's going, that's an optical illusion. I said, okay. So we get in the car, we drive forward about 10 feet, and it's behind us. <laughs> you were absolutely at the point where the rainbow hit the, hit the tarmac. Unbelievable. Uh, that, uh, I, it's impossible to find. <laughs> You're the gold. You're the pot of gold and hitting oh, the yeah. rainbow. <laughs> Irish Scott Irish thing could do it, right? So, uh, so that was like the signal, a message to me. That that landscape there, as barren as it once was, as destructive as it once was, it was deadly. But it was coming back, and I could see that in a hundred years, nobody would even know anything happened there. The forest would be fully grown. But I had a chance to watch it and witness it in the rebirth. And so I felt in my heart that 
even though I've been through this terrible six months, no work and pain and all kinds of terrible stuff, that I gained something from that. And I gave a greater appreciation of who and what I was. And, uh, and I also found that people reached out and actually helped and assisted me. Up until that point in time, I've always been the giver, the teacher, mm-hmm. the guy that helps and supports. You know, like, yeah, I don't need anything. But during that time, I was kind of reminded that, you know what? If you don't allow other people to help you and to give you good karma, uh, how are they going to get good karma, right? So by denying, I couldn't deny people the right to help me because it, it made them better people helping me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I said, okay, I need your help. Give me a hug, basically, you know, a spiritual hug, you know, whatever you got to do, spray for me. I'll take it. And I learned something that day. And then I also learned that, you know, you're not always the teacher. You're not always a student. You're both. And if you're a teacher, the only thing that you're, you're teaching, then you never learn anything new. And if you're always a student, you forget that your actions and what you say and do actually teaches others your example. So I've kind of gone through that point in time. That was kind of like a turning point. I realized that I can learn from everybody. And there's always hope. There's always hope at the other end of the rainbow, right? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. You know, I just want to jump in just one fast comment, and then I'll let you, Timothy. I can tell. <laughs> the Course in Miracles says you you teach what you need to learn. That's true. And you also, you also on the negative side, you find fault with others and and political systems and everything else because it's a reflection of what weaknesses you have as well. Mm-hmm. So when you see somebody else, oh, that person's envious or that person's egotistical, you know, it's like, it's like the old thing. I had a gay friend tell me because I was trying to give him an example. He says, yeah, it's like somebody telling you that he's not gay and he, he's very adamant about it and very vocal about it and outspoken about it. And then you find out 20 years later that no, he really was because you're usually what you're fighting, right? that you're the most outspoken about. Mm-hmm. So um, we each have something to give this world. We each have a gift. And I, I learned this when I was working in Florida for the uh, Catholic diocese. I volunteered, I, I, I volunteer, I fly into Florida and they have this group of adults that have various mental uh, disabilities or, or as we, as they say, different ability levels. Uh, you know, when they're young and a kid, they got all kinds of summer camps and places for people. But when you get older and you're not, you know, able to to, to lead a normal life, uh, there's not much out there. So I was asked to help out by a priest friend of mine. And I thought, okay, I'll do a favor. I'll go 24-7 with these people for a week. And halfway through the week, I realized I wasn't doing them a favor. They were doing me a favor. I learned so much about them and about pureness of love. People like that, they define things so simply. They they can't even lie. They just, they like you, they don't like you. They like this, they don't like that. It's just, they're so honest with their emotions that it was an eye-opener for me. And, and I actually, a part of me was kind of embarrassed that I thought I was actually going to help them mm. selfishly. They helped me. So as we go through life, we find these little things that happen to it is for really looking for a path 
of awareness, looking for a path that takes us to our inner truth. Realize, of course, that our truth, whatever we think it is now, may not be the same thing tomorrow or 10 years from now or the same thing you thought when you were a teenager. The truth, our apparent truth, is always evolving, but the truth such as gravity, <laughs> you know, there's some truths that you can't change no matter what you think. Oh, the world's the world's flat. Well, you know what? It is what it is, right? You can think it's flat, but uh, it doesn't change what it is. So people get so tied tied up with this. If you don't accept my truth, uh, then you're then you're an enemy. And I'm telling people, you know what? If that's their truth, and it's like somebody knocks on my door to sell me some religious church they go to, right? Not out here, take this pamphlet. But I said, are you happy with that religion? Oh, yeah. I said, well, then I'm happy for you. I wish you'd be happy for me and my choice as well. And at that point, they leave because they're not happy for my choice. <laughs> it's like they, they want to tell me how great their stuff is. They don't want, I said, well, I'll listen to yours if you listen to mine first. And, that, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're gone. So if you want to get rid of something, that's how you do it. Because most people, don't, they don't want to exchange it's like when we start we start this interview, I thought, oh my God, these guys are a whole different political spectrum in Miami. I could sit here and fight. Oh, that's stupid. Or I could I could meet someplace where we both can agree that love and forgiveness and service are really the answers. And that we're each entitled to have our own opinions and our own truths and respect that. And so that's where I'm at on this. And that's kind of where I'm going through the world. And and this is the closest political interview I've ever had because I avoid them. Because I find they're divisive, and uh, and you step on somebody's toes, and then you lose them. I can't influence people spiritually. So, Reverend Bill, we're yeah. just about closing, and I wanted Timothy. I know he was waiting there to get a comment in. And Timothy, did you want to say something before we close out? I I did, but Reverend Bill is too interesting, so I just want to jump. <laughs> Jump sideways slightly, and I'd like to wish everybody a wonderful Christmas. And I'd like to say that, you know, despite many things outside looking dark, it is not the way it needs to be. Around every corner, there is a potential amazing, astonishing thing waiting just for you to realize, resonate with, and enjoy. So I'd like to leave you there. And I'd like to extend some love to our sweet Annetta. She had to step out for a moment and I know she would be wishing you all uh, also a happy holy day. <laughs> Reverend Bill, <laughs> before we close out, what would you like to say? It's a new year. It's a new calendar year. It's also a new opportunity for all of us to look at each other in a different light. A little love, a little respect, a little compassion for each other. Be tolerant. Everybody's families are divided. Neighbors are divided. Countries are divided. Even we even have conflicting views within ourselves, depending on what day of the week it is. So it's it's time just to say, I'm happy the way you feel, and, and happy that you believe that way, and I believe this way. And but we all believe in one thing: it's love. So make that make that your passion this year. When it really gets down to being right or wrong on an issue, think about it. If I'm being right, makes the other person wrong. 
wouldn't it be better just to say, I love you and let it go? It's not so important to be right. That's how I survived 51 years of marriage. <laughs> we're here to love and we're here to serve. You do that, you're on your path. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What Pero la asombrosa gracia y amor de Jesús es más fuerte que la vida y la muerte. Wo auch immer du bist, ruf seinen Namen an. Jesus. 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 
Don't wait another day. <laughs> 